look at anything to do with psychological safety, which we know is the single biggest influence on team performance, psychological safety yeah. means that it's got to be okay to be vulnerable. Because you're absolutely right. If I look as though I've got all my ducks in a row, are you really going to be honest with me and admit that you haven't? You know? But that vulnerability takes courage, which takes us all the way back to developing a foundation where people are confident in a leadership role, confident in what they need to do and confident in their own skin. Welcome to the Leadership Junkies podcast brought to you by Cartavera, the leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people, grow your business and grow your life. Today, we are talking about conversations, those crucial conversations that we must be able to have regularly and in a great way as leaders and managers. Our special guest today is Andrea Newton. The title is Seven Significant Conversations. Empowering Your Leadership Through Crucial Conversations. Andra has a company called Confident Conversations, and she has been working over 20 years helping leaders and organizations hone and develop and deepen their skills when it comes to these often challenging conversations in the workplace, as well as in our personal lives. She's going to give us some tools, some mindset shifts. She's going to talk about those seven significant conversations. She's going to talk about the four F words to watch out for in conversations. She's going to give us some tools, some models. Overall, she's just going to share some wisdom about leadership, communication, and these many, many crucial conversations. Junkies podcast, where we explore leadership, business, and personal growth to help you grow your business and live a richer life. We're your hosts, Jeff Dishwitz and Craig Matthews. We believe that leaders have to put their people first. And if you don't have time to grow your people, then you're not leading. Get ready for conversations that will challenge your thinking and help you transform your leadership and your business. Welcome to your bigger business and bigger life. We are thrilled to be back today with a very intriguing guest, and I'm an intriguing (laughs) guest because we're going to be talking about conversations today. Our guest is Andrea Newton coming to us from the United Kingdom, and she is all about conversations. In fact, her company is called Confident Conversations, and it may seem like we always talk about conversations, but I know today we're going to go deeper into what are these conversations, what are these Um, I think she calls them the seven significant conversations that good leaders have to be able to have. Uh, She spent over 20 years working in a wide range of organizations, various industry, helping thousands of managers and leaders have conversations that matter. And I was so drawn to that, Andre, because that's something when people say, what do I love doing? I say, I love having conversations that matter. Like mm-hmm. I could live the rest of my life just having conversations that matter. <laughs> uh, yes. And sometimes with some wine or bourbon, yeah. <laughs> but that's not essential. What's essential is the conversation. So we're going to go yeah. deep into conversations and leadership with Andrea, who's a trainer, keynote speaker, author, and soon to be a podcast host. So I'm sure we're going to talk about all these great things about leadership and conversations. So welcome, Andrea. Yeah, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. So give us a little bit of the backstory on yourself. 
Okay, so as you said, I've been um, working as a trainer for over 20 years now, which is, you know, hard to believe because I am only 21 um, <laughs> in in my head. Um, so I used to, back in the days, I um, worked for a international logistics organization and I was responsible for sales and customer service throughout the UK and moved from that role into more of a supporting trainer HR position, um, looking after that team. And then from there, we had a new chief exec appointed who was French, who believed that women were either decorative or administrative. Oh, Indeed. And I really didn't fit into either of those categories. Um, so clearly time to uh, get a wiggle on and do something else. And my intention was absolutely to look for a similar role elsewhere. Um, but while I was looking, I was offered the opportunity to do some freelance work for a consultancy that I'd actually used as a leader. Um and really fell into it and loved the fact that it was a variety of stuff. It would be a different industry, different managers. And so, as they say, the rest is history. I went back to school, did my whole kind of trainer qualifications, got all the certificates, the badges, all the bits of paper, even went and became an NLP practitioner when wow. that was the thing to do. Um, and with all, yeah, with all of that stuff. And I've been self-employed running my own business for 22 years almost. Fantastic. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And over that time, you know, you, you say about the importance of conversations that matter. I think the thing that I've really realized is the number of those conversations that managers and leaders would rather avoid. <laughs> is it what they call difficult conversations? Is it mm -hmm. crucial conversations? What's the term? Yes. I, I think different people have different phrases. I call it a crucial conversation. The okay. ones that we know we ought to have, um, the ones where we find ourselves talking about people rather than to people. <laughs> Um, the conversations that we go home at night and complain to spouse and family about, but conversations that for whatever reason, you know, you'd, you'd rather chew off your own arm than actually have the conversation. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, the other person actually has to want to have that conversation too, right? Sure. Sure. Well, but maybe if, not. Maybe I think that's part of the challenge is leaders avoid conversations mm -hmm. if they're concerned the other person doesn't want to have it. In yeah. fact. Yeah. That's why they avoid it. No. So that's in a position of power. But like, for example, I had a friend who contacted me the other day and she said she has a, a boss that's just horrible to her. Just, you know, basically saying that she's stealing and she's she's doing all these things. And yet she's kind of running the business, even though and he just treats her horribly. Can she stand up and have that conversation? Everybody around her says, no, that's just the way he is. And I think that's something where you've really got a decision to make, you know, how much of that are you prepared to put up with? How yeah. much of that, um, you know, are you prepared to just allow it to be? It's just the way he is, because that's also part of my experience is a lot of people say, you know what? I can't help it. It's just who I am. And I'm sorry to me. That's that's just no. complete BS, yes. you know, you're right. So there's so many places we could dive in here. I, I like starting with um, blind spots. I'm big on blind spots. And 
Let's talk a little bit about some of the blind spots that you see with leaders and managers about conversations. Mm. So those blind spots, are they? I think the biggest one is, of course, I've got great self-awareness as a leader. <laughs> I know my blind spots, right? <laughs> I think that's my absolute fave. And, you know, one of the things that really bugs me is I'll go into working organizations and actually the people that need the development most are the ones that manage to avoid being in the room because they don't (laughs) need it. They don't need it. They know what they're doing. They've been doing it for all this time. So in terms of blind spots, I think the most infuriating is a leader or manager who believes they have nothing new to learn and sees themselves as being almost, you know, the finished article. So that's interesting because usually when somebody is going after mastery, they, the more that they learn, the more they realize they don't know. So mm-hmm. that kind of tells me that these, these are people at the very beginning stages And so really, if you think you know everything, you really don't. And that's where you need to help. I think what that says to me more so is they actually lack the confidence in themselves to admit Mm. that there's Uh, a weak spot. Um, And you were saying there about your friend and the treatment that she's getting from that guy. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if in terms of that kind of bullying behavior, mm -hmm. that's actually about masking who I really am. Yeah. Because if I'm loud and I'm bullying and I'm, you know, abrupt with you, that keeps you at arm's length. And that way Mm. you can't get close enough to see that actually I'm a little bit anxious about this. Wow. So that's, you know, so many of those occasions that I've come across over the years. So Mm. in terms of blind spots, the biggest one is I think I'm fabulous. And actually. (laughs) Well, I I agree with you. In fact, that's the one I just, I'm working on my, I think it's fifth book now, right now. And just this week, I was writing a chapter on blind spots. Okay. And it was interesting because I've talked about it a lot, but that's what I came down to, that that is the biggest blind spot. Yeah. My belief that I'm already there and that the, the, on top of that is my belief without knowing it, that I already, I know everything. Mm-hmm. Except everybody knows there are things they don't know, but I proceed mm-hmm. as if my full range is I've got it down. And I think you're right, Andrea, and I love that you brought that up. And I think, Craig, you said people want to pursue mastery, but that doesn't mean they're going to do the work. Most people say they're pursuing mastery, but they're not willing to be vulnerable and take the risk associated with the growth, like those conversations. It's, It's almost insidious that I find those internal stories of lack of confidence that gets in the way of these conversations. But actually, what does mastery look like? Saying that I am pursuing mastery in my mind, what does that look like to me? What does good really look like? Do I have somebody that role models it? Or am I just making sure that I do what I need to do to get by and tick the boxes and generate the numbers that keeps me operationally in a good place. Hmm. Well, what does- for me, mastery means the exact opposite. For me, mastery <laughs> means I'm really uncomfortable and it's really messy. Yeah. Because yeah, that's, that's, a good point. that's the only time I grow. I grow when it's messy and uncomfortable, Embracing not when it's smooth and I look good. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Cause otherwise you're not, you're not growing because you know, for one, it's the vulnerability factor. You, you have to admit mm-hmm. that you're not perfect. Okay. Mm-hmm. To other people around you who can help you to see the blind spots so that you can grow. <laughs> yeah. 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 But well, I mean, how many organizations have I gone into where they've said, right, we want to develop a culture of open, honest, frank dialogue. We want, <laughs> we want transparency. We want communication. And so you start to encourage that and they go, oh, no, not quite like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, Andre. I think uh, I hear similar things. And I think if I heard it exactly that way, my response would be very calmly say, well, let's just start with the fact that you actually really don't. (laughs) No, 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 we really do. Well, actually, you don't because you have it already. Yeah. And there's a reason you don't have it now. And and I can help you, but you're going to have we're going to have to go through some rough spots here. Um. I, I, as we're talking about this, I, I'm thinking of a recent conversation, pun intended, with one of my clients who, and it's a day, it was a daily thing. And I'll try and do the short version. He tells me that he was angry at one of the people that reports to him because basically he had done their job for them. Now I immediately go to, why are you doing their job? And he says, well, they were really busy and they weren't doing what they needed to and it needed done. And so, he said, I sent an email back to HR saying, I'll do it. It was about some interviews. I'll do them. In fact, I'll do them at night if I have to or the weekends. And he copied this team member. And I thought, and when he was done, I said, so let me get this straight. Your team member wasn't doing his job and you chose to do his job and not talk to him about not doing his mm-hmm. job, but you sent an email and copied him. And when I said that, it was like somebody hit him in the head. He said, huh. Yeah. I didn't see that. I said, well, obviously you didn't, but it was simple, right? But that's a blind. It was just so simple. And it ended up being this thing he wanted to, he was avoiding the direct conversation. Yeah. And the outcome was it was going to be a more difficult conversation because he now had to acknowledge, or he's willing to acknowledge that he had set him up to try and shame him into doing it. Instead of talking to him about expectation. Yeah, for sure. And often we'll hear managers say, well, I might as well do it myself because by the time I've had the conversation, I could have had it finished. And yeah, why like, are you hiring these people? Okay. <laughs> okay. So if you're happy to do that for the rest of your days, <laughs> yeah. crack on. Um, yeah. If you want anything to change, you're going to have to put your big girl pants on, sit down, eyeball to eyeball, knee ball to kneecap to kneecap, and have that conversation. Or else accept it is what it is and stop getting frustrated about it because being frustrated ain't going to change it. So how do we step into these conversations that may be crucial? And I would say they have a, a high level of importance. In other words, if it goes well, one, one course, if it goes poorly, it goes mm-hmm. a different course. And so it's, it's high stakes. Mm. You know, and you step into these conversations and you think that you know what's going on, but you really don't. I've had right. many of these conversations with my wife where I assume certain things. <laughs> when we had a discussion, I was totally wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the thing. I think it's going to the conversation with an attitude of curiosity. Mm. So talk to me about how you see this. Help me understand what it is that's going on. 
Yeah. Rather than I've seen this and this isn't right and blah and blah and blah. Yeah, that doesn't work very well. No. And <laughs> and, uh, and and here's a quick tip for you. Won't work with the wife either. All yeah, right. Yeah, right. Never never met the wife, but I'm gambling that, you know, it won't work there. And I I think it's going with that curiosity. Help yeah. me understand. That's a that's a great word for it. Yeah. Well, I have a question. Um, how much of this, Andrea? Well, I guess I know that we all create this. I create this myself. Uh, and Craig, you just used some words about, well, it could go well, or this happens, it could go badly. But how much of this is that I create a story about what badly is? Like, sure, I have too. a belief that the conversation yeah. cannot go badly. Yeah. It can have an outcome that I don't yeah. really like, but yeah. why did I define that as going badly? Mm -hmm. okay. Can you speak to that mindset that we create obstacles to these conversations mm -hmm. by how we choose to set them up? There's also, and I'm sure you've heard Brené Brown talk about, the story I'm telling myself. Mm -hmm. So Absolutely. I know that I need to have this conversation with this person. And so part of that is me in my head going, right, okay, so I'll say this, and then they'll probably say that, and then I'll say this, and then they'll say that. And then it'll all just go to hell in a handcart. So I'm not going to go there. And I think sometimes we just need to check in with ourselves and just see what story am I telling myself about this situation? Right. You know, am I actually setting myself up to fail because I'm going with the expectation that it's going to, you know, go boom. <laughs> right. Well, and to that point, let's talk about the words we use. Craig mm. and I were always talking about the power and disempowerment of words. Yeah. So when I hear people say, well, you know, I've got to have a difficult conversation. I said, never say that again, because if it has, if it's difficult, trust me, it's going to turn out difficult. You just decided <laughs> ahead of time. It like, what is the conversation? Maybe it's just an honest conversation. Hmm? Why do I have to label it? And I believe that I label things to give me a reason to avoid them. That's hmm. very unconscious though. I think that's an yeah. unconscious behavior. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I think this, the the moment you call it a difficult conversation, that's what you build it up to be. And if you go with the expectation that it's going to be difficult, then I think you bring a lot of that with you. Um, and absolutely, the honest conversation is is key. But we also need to be kind as well as <laughs> honest. You know. Yes. The, there's different ways of giving people feedback. I could say, well, you know, I'll, I'll mind my language here, but I could say that's not very good. Um, or I could say I'm a little bit disappointed with the, the product that you've produced or whatever it might be. Yeah. So I think honesty is absolutely key, but we've also got to be doing it in a way that maintains the relationship. Now, Jeff, one of the things that you do is you actually ask questions in there. Like, how do you think things went? Right. I usually start with way? questions. That's that curiosity and the yeah. opening to see what they're able to claim for themselves. Mm -hmm. And I also, as Craig knows, um, part of the thing I teach and I model is I always ask permission. Mm. Yeah. I always ask people, are you open to feedback? And even someone on my team is allowed to say, not right now. Okay. There may be some impediments to that conversation happening. Now, I do expect it on my team. Mm -hmm. Uh, I feel like you have been reading my LinkedIn post, Andrea, because just yesterday or today, <laughs> someone posted something about honest feedback or something. And I make, it always makes me think about these people that say, well, I'm just, 
the problem is I'm just brutally honest. Boom, boom, boom. They go, yeah, I'm just being how, honest. How did you use those together? Why are those together? Honesty does not require brutality. Yeah. Right. There's something more going on here. And I think to your point, uh, what I think is often true is what are we actually honest about? Mm-hmm. And what I think people struggle with is even if it's an honest judgment um, versus a perspective, and it's that conclusion. Right you screwed this project up is mm-hmm. not, even if you believe that is not really helpful, honest information. That's not it a good opening true. salvo. It might be, but it's just a label it on true. it. But it's just a label on it. What but made it see, awful? What did you do? That, did you not listen? Did you not communicate? Let's talk about something that's changeable versus don't go. suck anymore. And actually, Jeff, is it feedback that you want to give me or is it your opinion? Hmm. Because I believe there's a big difference between feedback and opinion. Yes. What's all opinions. And I I think sometimes we just need to be clear about, am I giving you this feedback in inverted commas because it'll make me feel better? Or do I want to give you this feedback because my intention is positive and I want to make sure that in the future we either don't make the same mistake or we repeat something that was fabulous because, yeah, feedback, you know, potentially is also positive news. Um, and that positive intent, I think, is the bit that we sometimes need to really get a grip on. Because if I'm coming with positive intent, with an attitude of curiosity, I'm setting myself up for a much better conversation. Well, how much about that, Andrea, gets to whether or not there really is a level of trust between the people, because I think, you know, one of the things when I talk about feedback is if I trust, if you're giving me feedback, if I trust that you're giving it to me to help Mm -hmm. me get better Mm -hmm. and genuinely want me to get better and Mm -hmm. you want the team and organization to be better, Mm -hmm. as long as you don't deliver it with daggers and in the way you do it, I should be pretty open to that, but Mm -hmm. I don't trust that because I'm not sure it's not about you. And I don't necessarily feel like it's really trying to help me. You're trying to blame me and you're not doing the same thing over here. Mm-hmm. And so much of the challenge here is I think I just don't trust the person giving it to me. Okay. And we all have um, baggage. Yeah. And what is it they say? Never take feedback from someone that you wouldn't ask for advice from. <laughs> yeah. Well, that gets interesting in the world. <laughs> yeah. You might have no feedback. I'm that. sorry, boss. I, I can't listen to you. You're, you're not somebody I would ask for advice from. Okay. <laughs> And that's where that trust thing comes in, isn't it? Because you can give me all the feedback in the world, um, but actually, unless I trust that it's for the right reasons, with the right intent, and unless I believe, i.e., are you credible in your ability to give me this feedback, you know? Hmm. And that, that whole trust, as far as the whole communication piece goes, for me, trust is the glue that holds it all together. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I think that's why I th- I'm sure you find this that in a lot of organizations, they want to work on skill sets, mm. but the underlying issue is they've got trust issues and all mm. the skill sets in the world aren't going to address those trust issues. Yeah. No. Which goes all the way back to the blind spot about me thinking I'm fabulous because I don't trust that if I admit I don't know, that doesn't put me in a vulnerable place. That mm. might be career limiting for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, let me ask you about this one, Andrea, because this is a regular conversation we have. 
a lot of times when it comes to these conversations, especially around feedback, People like to use the phrase, don't take this personally. <laughs> and as, I as have, you know, as right? soon as and somebody says that, you need to brace yourself. <laughs> yeah, this is, you're going to slap, slam me in the head. And I, I've told people now, I say, look, that's actually a lie because you do want them to take it personally because that, if it's really personal, that's where they're going to actually hear it. And I'll, and I'll tell the group, I'll say, look, I can prove to you, you you're lying. And they go, come on, you can't prove it. I said, okay. How many of you have ever said that word? Don't take it personally. They all raise their hand. I said, how many of you ever said that right before or after you praise them? <laughs> they go, uh, yeah, no. So you only say that when you're going to give them some okay. sort of constructive criticism. Yeah. So you do want them to take it personally when you praise them, but not yeah. the other. And what's that about? Okay. That's about me protecting myself. Sure. I don't want, and I think that's, you know, where is that in this? Because my belief is that way too many leaders without knowing it, the challenge in the conversation is they still, they don't want to risk not being liked. Oh, thank you. Thank you. How many times do I say to them, leadership is not a popularity contest. <laughs> it's not about who gets the most votes. It's not about who likes you. It's being efficient. It's being effective. It's about delivering what the business needs from you in a way that keeps your people on side. But hmm. there's there's so much about being liked. But you know that's isn't that just us as human beings? We like to be liked. Sure, but that's where it also gets lonely at the top. Mm. Very much so. Very well, much. it doesn't However, mean I won't be liked. It means I'm willing to risk not being liked to do what yeah. is right. Well, yeah. you know, do you want to be liked or do you want to be respected? I don't. Th I don't think it's mutually exclusive. I, I think, think it sometimes can be both. it's it's. I think sometimes we need to make that choice. Because sometimes I'll put off the difficult conversation, let me use that label, because it means that you won't like me. But actually, by having the difficult conversation, you might respect me. And I do believe that sometimes there is a decision to be made around that. I don't mm. want to upset the apple cart. I don't want to, you know, be the bad guy here. Well, you know what? Actually, we'd respect you a hell of a lot more if you just say what needs to be said, because we all know what needs to be said. We <laughs> <Yeah. hear too. laughs> right. You know, sometimes it's not the person that need, that needs to hear it, that understands, but everybody else does. Yeah. It's like when we do, rather than have face-to-face -face conversation with the person that we need to, we no. do that address the nation piece. Oh, it's oh my God. So stupid. You know, safety in numbers. Let me tell everybody about the importance of timekeeping rather than have a conversation with you because this is the third time this week you've been late. Right. And I always say to people, why would you do that? Because you're now advertising to everybody that you haven't got the balls to have the conversation exactly. with you're the a person. That's yeah? right. You, we you all got... know who you mean. <laughs> I, I am laughing, not be, partly because we all know this is true. In the last three days, here's a conversation I had with a leader. I said, tell me how you think you do in this communication. They said, well, you know, generally, I, get, I admit, I'm not really great with the one-on-one. -on -one. What I'm really good at is giving the feedback to the group. <laughs> and I said, okay, so we have two problems here. <laughs> one is you think that's actually good yeah, that right. you can do it to the group because that's not what you need to do. In fact, that's actually more harmful. Yeah. 
It's more horrible. Yes. It breaks trust. And everybody in the room is going, why is he or she telling all of this instead of that person? Yeah. Now I have an analogy that I use in my training that goes, if you've got, I don't know, bad behavior, misconduct, whatever it might be, and you're not addressing it, it's a bit like having a puppy that poops on the carpet. <laughs> if you don't address it, you can keep sweeping it under the carpet, but there's going to come a point where the carpet will be bulging so much and it'll be getting a bit stinky. So it's a bit like calling in all the dogs in the neighborhood to say, now somebody is pooping on the carpet. Yeah. And <laughs> all the old dogs in the group are going, what? Really? We know who you mean. Just deal with it. You know? So recognizing that advertising yourself as being incapable of having the conversation with the puppy is not going to do you any good with the big pack. <laughs> yes. I, I'm curious. I want to go back to the liking thing because that is such a big piece. And I think the more that I or anybody can be aware of that in their leadership, which is mm. as a coach, the question I often ask is they'll say, well, I don't want to go badly. Well, what would badly mean? Mm. And typically it comes back to them. Yeah. It's sure. not, it's, it's rarely something about the dynamic. It's more something that affects them, which is very yeah. self-focused, self-protective. But I wonder about like in these conversations, there's a lot of times I share things that people don't like what I said, mm. but I assume they're going to not like me because of it, which to mm. me is a very small risk. Oh, it's probably see, a higher risk that they may not like what I'm sharing with them. Jeff, you're taking it personally. <laughs> yeah, I used to. Now I still do. I still have my my moments. You know, you get excited when somebody starts cussing at you because then you know you've hit the spot. Oh, I do like that. <laughs> That's the greatest compliment on the planet with yeah. your clients when they swear at me. But I'll tell you, I, I will tell you last week, um, I ended up in a situation where I ended up having two, um, I'll call them challenging conversations. And there was a voice of resistance, but I chose to have the conversations. What I did choose to do, which I think is really important, whether we call it emotional intelligence, emotional mastery is I was very angry and I knew not to have those conversations when I was angry. Because mm -hmm. I knew that wouldn't go well. And I chose to delay it until I was in a place to have those conversations in a good way. But I was very direct with these two people. Um, and about what I think is one of the hardest things, because I was sharing with them how what they had done had an emotional impact on me. Okay. And I had a power differential. These are people that I have a power differential technically over, but I I wanted them to hear it because I knew it was important for them to hear mm -hmm. that in their own growth. And I just looked for a lot of ways to do it as the best way I could. And both were impacted by it, but I think it went well, but it was messy. Mm -hmm. And that's what I told him. I said, look, this is what leadership is. Leadership mm -hmm. is messy. If it's yes. not messy, it's not leadership. Yeah. It's something else. Everything's working fine. What, who cares? Mm -hmm. It's when it gets messy. We need leadership. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I think we've we've talked a lot about the things that people um, are not doing right, the things that people handle badly. But I think we have to say in a lot of managers defense, nobody ever taught them how to. 
Yes. And, you know, my experience tells me that often people are promoted to management or leadership roles without any formal development. Absolutely. And just because they were good at digging holes or, (laughs) you know, doesn't mean they'll be good at managing people. That's right. The top salesperson should be the sales manager all the time, right? Oh, for sure. And that's what they did to me. And I was dreadful. I was an awful sales manager, um, which is what first got me interested in actually what makes a good leader, because I was a long way from it. Um, But I was a really good salesperson. And, And I think we need to give people credit sometimes and recognize that there's very few other professions where we would put somebody in a place with such responsibility without giving them the formal development to enable them to do it. Right. And we don't seem to see, um, we don't seem to equate the same level of risk with giving you responsibility for people as we might do, I don't know, giving you responsibility for flying an airplane or operating on somebody, you know? Andrea, it's only soft skills. (laughs) So Andrea, I'm curious, and I really love that perspective. I see that very clearly. We've got generations of that, right? Mm, Um, For sure. You know, I learned from this person. They learned from this person. There's a good bet that a lot of them weren't good at this and Mm. they didn't get the training. What do you think starts to help or turn the tide of that? Because it's a bigger, it's a bigger turn than we think, because if we've got generations of people never seeing that modeled, yeah. or learning how to do it. And all of a sudden they're going to say it must be important, Yeah, but no one has ever told me that it's important before. Yeah. I, to be honest with you, I think we're in a different place these days than we ever were, because I think these days, the people that we are managing are much more enlightened. Yes. And I think they have higher expectations of the mm-hmm. world of work. And um, I don't know about you, but I went through a phase where everybody knew their rights. Um, <laughs> And so I think there's been lots of tribunals, lots of grievances, because actually we get to the point where people won't put up with that clumsy leadership. Yeah. And, you know, we lose talent because Mm -hmm. they're not comfortable with the way they're being managed. We lose a client because we've not handled the whole thing well. Um, and, And generally, to my mind, it's recognizing that the people we are now managing have got different expectations. They've got a different view of what good looks like. Yeah. I mean, the same thing kind of happens in our, in life in in the home Mm -hmm. front, you know, you have a a father, an abusive father, oftentimes that yields abusive men Mm -hmm. and, you know, somewhere that cycle needs to break. And so you look at your parents and oftentimes somebody will say, oh, I don't want to be like my mom or I don't want to be like my dad. And yet what do they do? Yeah. But I've also seen that in leadership where people will either role model what they've experienced themselves or they'll actually do the exact opposite because they didn't enjoy being managed in that way. And I think sometimes people tend to find a way based on their own experience um, and again, I will always say to them, you know, leadership, you can either do it like a drain pipe. I'm getting kicked. You're getting kicked. <laughs> or you can put your umbrella up and say that might be what happens up there. But 
for my team under my umbrella, this is how it's going to be. What a great analogy. I love that, Andrea. So, sorry, go on. No, I just, my question from what you just said, Andrea, you said as if it was a positive outcome. They, they, they struggled with this. So I'm going to do the opposite. Mm. But I would say that typically the opposite is not good either. Right. Because if I've Too got far. verbally abusive boss, mm. I'm not going to be that. But there's a good bet I won't have those conversations at all. Okay. Yeah. Because the different is I, I need some tools to show me how to do it differently versus just yeah. not doing what they did. Yeah. And I think you're right. People need to be open to that. And I'm, I guess I'm really encouraged. I just met with a new coaching client today. And what I loved is I said, so tell me why you're really getting a coach. And he didn't have any areas where he said, I feel like I'm really failing, mm -hmm. but he wasn't arrogant. He said, I, but I know I've got to have some gaps and I want to continue to get better. So it's not like I'm saying I stink at this, mm -hmm. but my company's growing and I need to be growing too. And this that's seems like the way to do it. I went, wow, that's, that's leadership. That's very yeah. intentional. That's a growth mindset right there. Yeah, For absolutely. Sure. That's fantastic. For sure. Yeah. And equally, you can have people where in organizations, if you're ticking all the boxes operationally, we'll forgive your poor people management. I've seen that too often. And mm. I've seen entire divisions of a company decimated that way. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you're creative. If you're a creative and we need to keep your talent, we will almost allow bad behavior. I think, I think it comes. So I, it, with the way that I've seen it come out is the people who make the money, mm -hmm. project managers, yeah. salespeople, the yeah. ones who are delivering yeah. because it's quantifiable. They're yeah. the ones that keep their jobs. When or if, if, you've got, if you've got a specific unique skill set, that's difficult for us to recruit, then we'll yeah. allow you to, you know, <clears throat> go rogue. But I think a lot of that is to do with the way that we promote people. You know, in other countries in Europe, it doesn't work that way. In other countries in Europe, you will be a technical expert and you will be promoted. You will progress right. your career on that line of technical expert. That was my dad. Okay. He, he didn't want to manage the people. Right. But he was fantastic with the technical details. Okay. Yeah. But I think what we do sometimes that I see happen a lot in the UK is because we don't have that separate stream of technical mm. expert, the only way you can progress, earn more, get a better yeah. salary is to right. become a people manager. Yeah. And that doesn't suit so many people. No. In fact, it's horrible for most of the people that they, that they, they report to them. Yeah. And for them too. You know, let's be honest. Yeah, true. If you're a decent human being and you realize that actually what you're creating is a climate that isn't working yeah. and we'll just keep pushing that square peg into that round hole because you'll keep giving me the salary at the end of the month, you yeah. know, it's not comfortable for that person either. And that's where we come back to that question about trust. Can I openly say I'm struggling here and I'd like some help or will that mean career suicide? Well, Kim, is there a way to round out those, those sharp corners on the square I think, peg? I think we need to get more serious about leadership development and actually see Abs it as an investment, not an expense. Here, here. Absolutely. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. 
If you enjoy the Leadership Junkies podcast and you want to grow your leadership, we have a new course for you called Become a Confident Leader. In this course, we will share some of the keys to becoming more confident in your leadership and also to become more impactful. Go to cartavera.com slash confident to find out more. See you on the inside. Welcome back. <laughs> so, so Andrea, we've talked a lot about conversations and leadership and what gets in the way and why it matters. I do want to make sure because you are very focused on what you call seven significant conversations. Mm. Yeah. And I'd love to hear what are those? And let's, okay. let's talk about those for a bit. Okay. So I guess it comes from over the years, finding myself in lots of different situations, perhaps with um, maybe team leaders who've just been promoted and trying to make that transition from, you know, mate to manager, buddy to boss. That, that can be a big step up. So I'd be starting with those guys and thinking about their confidence as a leader and recognizing, all right, this time last week, you were one of the boys. Now you're leading. What does that look like? What's different? What's that going to mean for you? So the confident conversation for me is the foundation. It goes right across the piece. And it's something that every leader should feel comfortable in doing. Moving on from there, I then talk a lot about caring conversation, but not caring in, you know, I'm not your mother. I'm not your social worker, um, but I care about you as a human being and I want mm -hmm. to make sure you're okay. And I want to feel comfortable to have a conversation about your well-being and about you as a person. Because coming back to the climate I create, the engagement that I develop, the trust that I build, that relationship matters. After the caring bit, we, me we need to be able to have what I call coaching conversation. The bit where I'm actually leading a team in a way that is also developing them. Because if I'm not developing my team, then really, I'm, I'm not really as effective as I ought to be in that really situation. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, you know, the coaching isn't necessarily let's sit down and have a one-to-one -one coaching conversation. Um, it's kind <laughs> of coaching on the job. So yeah. when you come to me and say, what do you want me to do about this? Rather than me saying, I want you to do that. I turn that into a coaching opportunity and say, well, talk to me about it. How do you think we should best handle it? What did we do the last time this happened? And see that, this? yeah, and see that as part of my job to develop your skills, which again, if we had more time, is something else that leaders sometimes avoid doing because it scares right. me that you might be better than me. So the coaching <laughs> conversations, inevitably at some point, we're going to have to have a challenging conversation because if we never have challenging conversations, then we're not improving, we're not growing, we're not developing, I'm not doing my job. So the challenging conversation might be the one where I need to disagree with my boss. It might be where I need to challenge inappropriate behavior. It might be where I need to challenge a supplier who perhaps isn't doing what they agreed they would do. So it's, you know, it's the courage to have challenging conversations. And that then takes us to that next level of the crucial conversation that I mentioned before. Crucial conversations tend to be more around the icky stuff. So you're not performing, you're not behaving, um, you've breached a policy, and I need to have a formal conversation with you that could get quite sticky. 
So wait, is this where a performance improvement plan comes into play? No, one of those. How amazing. Now, does anybody get a performance improvement plan that's not underperforming? And how sad would that be? How sad would that be? You know, how sad would that be? But we... <laughs> But the, the, the point is, I think, if we're not having these conversations and actually nipping it in the bud, yes, stuff doesn't need to become formal. We don't need a formalized plan. We don't need a process. We don't need HR saying we've got a policy for that. Um, if we're capable of having conversations in a timely fashion. Right. And then okay. after, the, after the crucial conversations are the two that I would hope leaders have to have the least frequently. And the two conversations are crisis and critical. Critical? Yeah. Critical is when perhaps there's a mental health issue, which again is a subject that I would rather poke at my own eyes than talk to a team member about. And I think given the last, what, 12, 15 months that we've gone through in yeah. terms of the pandemic, we know that during that time, levels of stress, anxiety, and depression absolutely increased. Yeah. So as a manager, if you're not checking in with your people, and there's a difference between checking in and checking up, <laughs> checking in with your people to see how they're doing. And this is the bit where sometimes people get a bit scared because this is where we need to use the four F words. Uh-oh. Yeah. Now, hang on. You don't need to, to bleep any of this out. <laughs> The four F words are, can you talk to your people about feelings, about fears, about family, and about future? Those are good conversations. Yeah. And to my mind, those are conversations after a global pandemic that everybody needs to be having. Because I don't know what it's like where you guys are, but I know here we've got so much change. And people have now got different expectations of work. Yeah. People don't want to do the commute and the right. nine to five in the office. This whole hybrid working is a real big topic here at the moment. Yeah. So are those four F's under critical or crisis? They're under critical. Okay. So we haven't you, really talked about crisis then. Okay. So this is the bit where I would hope that managers will never have to have this conversation, <laughs> but if it's relevant and appropriate, they need to be capable of doing so. Mm. Okay. And this is where you've got somebody who really isn't in a good state for whatever reason, generally a mix of personal circumstances, perhaps work isn't going well, perhaps even somebody who's having difficult thoughts, maybe even thoughts of suicide. Because my belief is that not everybody who's having thoughts of suicide will be standing on the bridge staring down into the water below. Right. They could be the ones opposite you in a performance improvement meeting. They could be the, the, um, the supplier that's not delivering because his world is falling apart. And, you know, in the UK, we have a real issue with suicide, especially amongst men. Because, again, men don't do the four Fs conversations. Yeah. and. As an example, today, I was working with an organization today where it's 90% male dominated in the mm. construction industry. Now, in construction, you're six times more likely to die by suicide than you are in any other industry. Really? 
And in the UK, the biggest killer of men between the ages of 45 and 49 is suicide. It isn't road traffic, cancer, heart disease, any of that stuff. Wow. If you are a manager in a male-dominated industry where you have got men who don't talk about how they're feeling, Mm. who don't actively seek help if they're struggling, who try to suck it up buttercup, in a climate where I don't encourage honest, open, frank dialogue, I've got a potential risk there. And so that's why I added suicide intervention to my repertoire as a leadership trainer, because I want leaders to be ready to have whatever conversation matters. And some conversations are clearly life-saving. Wow. That is so, so important. I think I missed something. What was, what did you call the first one? Confident. 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 Okay. I got buddy to boss. (laughs) And, you know, if if you think about it a bit like a pyramid. Yeah. Yeah. And you recognize the confident piece, that's the the foundation that supports all the other conversations. You've got to have the confidence, you've got to have the courage, and then the others that build up. And as the pyramid goes up and gets more pointy, there's less need for the conversations at the top, one would hope, than there are for the conversations further down that pyramid. Okay. That's, that's a brilliant model. Love it, Andrea. Well, and yeah. let's talk about, I don't think you said it. I, I didn't hear it, but I feel like the, ba- the foundation of this is that I need to be confident enough to be vulnerable. Yes. Because these, like at the top, the critical conversations about yes. the four F words. Yeah. Those to me, if I'm the leader, I need to go first with those. I need mm-hmm. to be having those because Absolutely. it's a lot easier and safer for someone to have it with me if yep. they've seen me model it versus sure. I'm the one going, yeah, I got everything figured out. So what's going on with you? Like, they're yeah. not going to tell me that because they're likely no. they afraid up. They're going to hear me say, just suck it up. Yeah. So for our listeners, Jeff is crossing his arms and he, he's kind of uh, lording it over you. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you know, you're absolutely right. And if you look at anything to do with psychological safety, which we know is the single biggest influence on team performance, Psychological safety means that it's got to be okay to be vulnerable because you're absolutely right. If I look as though I've got all my ducks in a row, are you really going to be honest with me and admit that you haven't, you know, but that vulnerability takes courage, which takes us all the way back to developing a foundation where people are confident in a leadership role confident in what they need to do and confident in their own skin. Wow. So let's, let's talk about a word you have not used. And I wrote a note as you were going through it, Andrea, I put it next to number two, caring conversations, but it feels like it applies to all of them. And that is the role of empathy. And I also, I want you to talk about empathy in the constructs of these conversations, including this question. I regularly hear people saying, you can't be too empathetic. You need to be careful you're not too empathetic. My belief is that you can't be. That's another question. I don't want to be less empathetic. I want to be able to set boundaries and be empathetic, for example. Yeah. So talk about empathy in the construct of these conversations. I think that the first thing I always say to people is there's a big difference between empathy and sympathy. And we need to absolutely make that distinction. It's not, I'm not here to feel sorry for you. 
I'm here to acknowledge that the way you're feeling now is, is pretty rubbish. Yeah. But equally, I get the, I don't want to over empathize. I don't want to join you in your furline pit of pessimism and, you know, <laughs> agree with you how awful it is. But I do need to appreciate that from where you're standing, the world looks quite different than from where I am. And you know what? If I can't empathize, if I can't put myself in your shoes, I am never going to get the best out of you. But equally, what I can't do is stand in my shoes and judge you. Right. Right. You know, the shudda, woulda, coulda. Right. Yeah, that doesn't help anybody. So an empathy doesn't mean that you have to have had the same experience. You know, sometimes people will use that example. And I know when I was a leader, I was dreadful. If someone would phone up and say, I can't come to, to work today. My kid is sick. And this was before I had kids. And I'd go, ooh, uh, can't you just leave it somewhere? You know? Isn't there a facility where you just, you know? And that for me was a big learning because I don't have to have had the same experience as you to be able to empathize with you about how you're feeling. However, I need to be bold enough and brave enough and courageous enough to even want to do that. Because otherwise, mm. in the words of the great Brené Brown, I remain zipped up, armored up and stop connecting with you as a decent human being. And that's, um, you reminded me there, there's, there's a little model that I use within Crucial Conversations that's about enabling people to have that feedback. And it's EEC, not the European Economic Community, which clearly <laughs> we don't want to be part of. Um, <laughs> but EEC is example, effect, change. Let me give you a specific example of what it is so that we both know what we're talking about. So I'm not going to say something like, um, you, you're just not pulling your weight at the moment. I you mean, suck. what the hell does that mean? <laughs> you know, right. so give me a specific example of something that I've done or not done. And then talk to me about the effect or the impact that that's mm-hmm. having. So that way I get it. I get it at a head level and then let's focus on change. But given that if we're going to make progress, we don't tend to drive in the rear view mirror. In that change, let's not concentrate too much on what's gone. Let's focus on what we can do differently going forward. I love that last part about what can we do differently Mm. versus telling people to stop doing something or to do less of this or more of this. That's not really concrete. Mm. Like when someone says, well, I'm, you're not getting enough done. You need to be more productive. Yeah. It's horrible feedback. Yeah. Yeah. to do with that. Say, oh, you know what? Yeah. I came to work every day trying not to be productive. I'll just change my mindset. Yeah. I'll do less of that. Get rid of anyway. But there's also a we in there, which means that I'm I'm taking on some of the burden too. If there's something that I can do to help affect the change for you. Thank you. Yeah. So this isn't me sitting in judgment over you. Because mm-hmm. you know what, actually, if you're not doing what I really need you to do, maybe there's something that I've done that's contributed towards that. Maybe I've not been clear in my communication. Maybe I've not described what good looks like. Maybe mm-hmm. I haven't, um, maybe I haven't spoken to you about this soon enough. Yeah. Maybe I've let this go. Actually, I've put off this conversation because I'm scared you wouldn't like me. And now, it's, <laughs> you know, it's become right. a bit of a habit and I now want you to break the habit. No, 
what do we need to do differently? How can we overcome this? Because I'm on your side because my intention is positive. Remember? Yeah. Wow. That's so good. So Andrea, uh, this has been a wonderful conversation. I, I guess uh, put a little bit of pressure on you. My, my final question to you is this, we've shared a lot, mm-hmm. but there's always something that didn't get shared or a question that Craig or I didn't ask. Okay. What might be that question and what's the answer to that question that still needs to be answered for our listeners? For me, around the whole conversations piece is there's one thing that we haven't talked about enough and that's getting comfortable with the uncomfortable. Hmm. Yeah. We've referenced the difficult conversations, the challenging conversations. We've referenced conversations about suicide ideation, sensitive topics. Yeah. But for me, getting comfortable with the uncomfortable so that I can have conversations that matter Hmm. is really the, the kind of the icing on the cake for me. Now, will people ever enjoy doing those kind of conversations or is it just a matter of saying, okay, I can be comfortable. I don't like it, but I can still be comfortable doing that. But there's things that we do that we know we have to do, whether we like them or not, because the outcome that we're we're looking to achieve is worth it. Yeah. And I think if we almost do a bit of a covey and start with the end in mind, what am I looking to achieve here? What do I want the outcome to be? How do I want people to feel as a result of Mm -hmm. me being their manager and recognize that sometimes some of that stuff may not be enjoyable. It may not be comfortable. Yes. (laughs) Andrea, thank you for having a conversation that matters with us and with our listeners. I want to make sure to give you an opportunity to promote or highlight something that's going on for you or your business. And what is that? Okay, so the the excitement for me at the moment um, is to do what you've been doing so beautifully and well. And I'm about to launch a podcast. Woo! Woo! And my podcast, are you ready? My podcast is going to be called Really Useful Conversations. (laughs) That's fantastic. And I'm going to be talking about conversations that change organizations, conversations that develop relationships, conversations that improve standards, that increase results, conversations that save lives. And I would just ask if people are interested in what I've said to come check out the podcast and uh, let me know what you think. So what, uh, Andrea, what is the best way for people to connect with you? Okay, there's there's probably two ways. I'm generally on LinkedIn, ranting, raving, raging about something or other that's that's got my goat. Um, and also through my website, confidentconversations.co.uk. Awesome. We'll put that in the notes. We always wrap up with a couple of questions. And just in the interest of time, I'm going to go with one of our favorites. We're going to go with movies. Okay. Uh, what's the movie, the scene, the character that speaks to you about leadership? Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, <laughs> Minerva McGonagall, Professor mm. McGonagall. She's, she rocks. She rocks. She is the woman that stands on the steps at the start and says, welcome to Hogwarts. Yeah. And means it. Right. She is also the woman in the Deathly Hallows who summons up the power to save Hogwarts. 
I'm getting chills right now. Oh, yeah. There you go. There you <laughs> go. So good. And isn't she at the end standing on those same steps, basically saying, bring it? Bring yeah. it. And she told the, you know, the stone golems to come forth, you know, called them forth. To <laughs> the spell. To the spell that she had always <laughs> wanted right. to use. Yeah. But there's the snippets within there that she does. When, um, for example, Harry's being sent off to do XYZ, she says things like, he's a boy, not bait. Hmm. And to me, that is, as a leader, it's about being personal, it's about being personable, it's yeah. about caring about your people, but it's about having the courage to stand there and take it. When the proverbial hits the fan. Well, JK Rowling is definitely one of your um, icons. One of our best exports. Yes. <laughs> Jeff and I have thoroughly enjoyed yeah. the Harry Potter series. Yeah, there's there's not much you lot want from us, but you know, uh, I think you you kind of like the, Jim the Dale uh, version of the audio is is my favorite. Okay. All right. But yeah, so that, that would be my choice because I think she's got a fantastic blend of the caring, compassionate, let me look after you. And yes. then the spell, the Pier Totem Locomotor. That's right. <laughs> Do it. Well, Andrea, thank you so much. Thank you for for what you brought today, but more importantly, for the work you can do, continue to do in the world because it's certainly needed and it matters. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you enjoy the Leadership Junkies podcast and you want to grow your leadership, we have a new course for you called Become a Confident Leader. In this course, we will share some of the keys to becoming more confident in your leadership and also to become more impactful. Go to cartavera.com confident to find out more. See you on the inside. I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Alright, you think that was good enough? I, I hope so, man. I'm tired. <laughs> who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I, I, I've never done it. <laughs> <laughs> no, right.